When we recover, we are returning to a normal state of health, mind, or strength. We begin the process of regaining control over something that was lost. Welcome to the Road Beyond Recovery podcast, and my name is Tamar, your host. Have you ever felt like you were meant for more? Well, I help people discover their purpose so they can follow their passion and realize what they are truly capable of. My mission is to empower people in recovery to embrace their authentic selves, live up to their true potential, and answer the question, what lies beyond recovery for you? Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Road Beyond Recovery podcast. My name is Tamar, and I'm going to be your guide for this amazing journey that takes place beyond recovery. Now, I am just blown away with all the people that I'm starting to meet that have overcome addiction and are now using that experience to help others. And today's guest is no different. You know, when I first got sober, I was ashamed. You know, I had done some terrible things. I wasn't proud of how my life had turned out. And, you know, I really struggled to be open with others about the fact that I I had an issue with drugs and alcohol. And I think the more sobriety that I gained in my life, I realized that I didn't have to be ashamed about it. And in an episode coming up, I'm going to be talking more on the stigma of addiction. So make sure you stay tuned for that. But today, in all honesty, I am so grateful that I have come to realize that my past has actually been the secret to my success today. And so I encourage any of you listening right now that are maybe still struggling, um, maybe you're still in addiction and and you are looking for a way out, or maybe you're in recovery and you're feeling complacent, you know, look at that experience that you gained. I mean, I used to think that education would be the key to my, my success, right? And that would land me a good career and I'd be financially stable. And what I realized is that, you know, being out there for, you know, over 20 years, I had a lot of life experience, right? And so now speaking to others in recovery, you know, it's just, it's that gift of being able to relate and say, hey, you know what? I get it. I've been there too. So, you know, just remember that if you're struggling right now and you're feeling a little complacent, we've got this gift, right? We've got this experience. Just take that energy that you put into staying lost in addiction and put it towards something that you're passionate about and just see the amazing changes that can happen. Now, for me in early recovery, I had to build a more solid foundation, right? I didn't just come into this life of being sober and everything just worked out. I had to do a lot of work. And so I have actually put together a a course or workshop for you and basically it takes you through some of the steps to build a more solid foundation, gain clarity and direction and develop that growth mindset and get more organized. And of course, at the very end, this is in three phases so it's broken out. I have introduced a concept that will help you discover your purpose in life because I think that that is really what has taken my own sobriety to the next level. And I mean that in terms of my own personal development and what I do and how I take action because I did get very complacent in kind of mid sobriety. And, you know, I just thought, is this it? You know, am I am I meant to just do the same old, same old every day and, and continue to work on the same stuff? And I realized that 
if I wasn't, you know, seeking a better way of life and I wasn't working on my own personal development, I could get very stagnant, which of course could cause me to revert back to those old behaviors that I so desperately tried to get out of. And I could basically relapse, right? And I knew I didn't want to go there. And so, you know, I continue to do the work to stay sober. I continue to do exactly what I learned in early sobriety to keep that foundation solid because as a lot of us know, that can crumble very quickly. But this uh, course that I've created or workshop, it's not meant to help you get sober. It's meant for basically people who have overcome addiction or adversity and they're feeling kind of stuck right now. You know, they want to figure out some key strategies that I have implemented in my own life. And the first phase is absolutely free. So if you head on over to my my website. It's www.theroadforward.ca forward slash beyond recovery workshop. You can sign up now. You can get it in a bundle for all three so you can experience the entire transformation and tips and strategies that I use. Or if you just want to check it out uh, one phase at a time, you can do that as well. Phase number one, which is really developing a foundation is absolutely free. So make sure you head on over to my website and check that out. So today's guest is Dr. Stefan Nath from A Different Life Story podcast. And also he wrote the book, My Steps to Sobriety. Now, I really enjoyed our conversation. I love how open he is about his sobriety and, you know, how he's not ashamed of it anymore because we talked about the fact that you know, as a professional, having to come out about your addiction and actually talk openly about it, it it can be very difficult because like I mentioned, right, there's that stigma sometimes. And, you know, Stefan has really, really used his experience to help others now. And I love what he's doing. You know, we talked about being overachievers. And that's why I truly believe that, you know, alcoholics and addicts or anybody suffering from adversity can use that, right? Because we use so much energy out there to get loaded. And if we just harness that energy and used it in a more positive way, just imagine the difference that we can make in the world. So Stefan is no different. And I will make sure I put a link in the show notes so you can pick up his book and also check out his podcast, A Different Life Story. Now the podcast has has rebranded over the last few months since we recorded this. It used to be My Steps to Sobriety, so you'll have to check that out. I'll make sure to put the link, but I hope you enjoy our chat. Welcome back, everyone. I'm hanging out with my friend, Stefan Naif. How are you doing, Stefan? I'm doing ever so well. Thank you very much for having me on your show. Uh, It's an honor to be here. I'm so happy you're here. So you are the author and podcast host of my steps to sobriety which i can't wait to dig into soon and we'll get we'll add the link and everything but why don't you tell us a bit about yourself right what was your upbringing like how did you get to where you are today oh well born in 66 in germany and i have got a very blue color background and indeed my my mother didn't really think that i would amount to much because no one in our family ever had so i ended up in one of these middle schools where in germany you are expected to go up until the age 15 and then you go into a a job turned out that i had a bit more under the bonnet than than expected 
and I creamed that school. Uh, I then uh, gained access to another three years in a different school where I then finished again uh, top of the class and then uh, with all that went into uh, university because I was best at school I could choose which university. So I ended up in, in Heidelberg which is sort of the, the Oxford Cambridge kind of thing, uh, the equivalent. It's kind of Ivy League. Um, and I had a ball of a time. I had a great time there. Thank you very much. <laughs> uh, so it was it was lovely. And so I became a doctor. And uh, then, unfortunately, it was around about 1989, and the wall had come down. So a major historical upheaval. And translate that into complete lack of jobs. Because like in Berlin alone, there were three medical universities. One was shut down after the reunification. So you could get a doctor to mow your lawn. And so I had really no no outlook. And one day I found a little advertisement, German doctors wanted. And now it is not now some some dodgy kind of, <laughs> of story there where I then say I really needed the money when these pictures were taken. Uh, no, <laughs> I ended up in England and a month later and then, you know, found a wife. Uh, we, she was already on the way to the United States. So I said, look, give me a chance. I, I redo university <laughs> at night time. So I did all the USMLE, all the entrance exams. And cut a long story short, we actually decided against the United States and ended up in New Zealand. And it's it's just a gorgeous place here. Uh, mm -hmm. it is, there are not many things that can kill you apart from your own stupidity. And therefore, yeah, it's it's a good place. So I, I with hindsight, I count myself so lucky. Yeah, it's certainly on my bucket list to head over there one day. So let's talk about, you know, so you are an alcoholic and myself as well. Um, definitely what connected us. Now, I love how, you know, when I start my story, when people ask me, I had a very good upbringing, right? And a lot of people have this, this perception that in order to be an addict or an alcoholic, you have to have this terrible traumatizing upbringing and I keep saying no it's not true and I think it can stop people from actually admitting that they have a problem because they're like well I wasn't homeless or I didn't you know and I have reached some pretty bad bottoms but I did not live under a, a, a bridge with a brown paper bag in my hand right and I, being desperate, I got desperate, but I hit my own bottom. So can you tell us what that was like? Like, you know, when did you know you were an alcoholic and how did that kind of progress for you? Oh, goodness. I was a child, really, of the, of the 80s. Uh, the 80s in Germany was, was good times. Uh, whilst there was the, the Cold War, we had a ball of a time. So as a teenager, I had a, a good time. Alcohol didn't really feature so much into it at that time. But uh, the, it, is, it is intriguing. I write in my book, in my steps to sobriety, I talk a lot about, about the high-functioning alcoholic. And that is certainly something that I have seen in rehab when I was uh, myself for, for 28 days uh, admitted. We had people from every strata of life. Alcohol is an... And a, a toxin, a poison that absolutely 
it's it's a great equalizer. It doesn't care if you're white or black or chocolate or whatever color. Mm -hmm. It doesn't matter if you're gay, straight. It doesn't matter whatsoever. Um, everyone uh, is is under attack because ultimately we have got our traumas. We have got our problems. Now these problems might not have to be literally ending up in the gutter. Uh, as not so many people I know have in that place have been in that place, but your gutter looks different for each and every one of you. I was a high functioning alcoholic. I kept my job. I had no run-ins with the law. I had no problems whatsoever. As far as sort of you know the big things were concerned, in reality, people knew that I was drinking too much. And the question is, why was I drinking too much? What was driving me? And it was negative emotions, because we all have them. And I had never learned how to deal with them. Firstly, I was a people pleaser. And I was a person who always wanted to be the best. There was no second, second uh, place that was unacceptable to me. I needed to be the best. And my to do lists from those years looked like encyclopedias and there was no way that I could ever succeed in all the tasks that I, saw, uh, that I set myself. So that meant that every day I saw myself as a failure, regardless how much I had achieved. So there was this underlying perfectionism there, which is really good when you're a doctor, that suits you well because you want to do a perfect job. But even then, you don't look at the 99 perfect jobs that you have done. You look at the one job where something has gone not right. Yes. And then you flatulate yourself and beat yourself up for it. And it doesn't matter if it is your fault or not. You still claim responsibility for fuck-ups of other people. But somehow your brain constructs them that this is you. So that was my, my emotional makeup. Uh, basically an emotional retard because I had no idea that negative emotions are part and parcel of life and that you don't try to somehow stop them, but that you have to live with them and work with them. That, that concept was so foreign to me. So therefore, I was falling prey very easily to alcohol down the line once I actually... Um, once, once negative things started happening to me. And they happen to everyone in everyone's life. So I was not equipped to deal with them. Also, I was quite a shy person, um, I guess with hindsight. And this, this kind of perfectionism, I always saw myself as, as not very handsome, not very, you know. And therefore, the alcoholists, well, the Dutch courage that gave me the the switch to turn into that cool dude that the girls liked and it worked really well for me uh, as that i i played guitar not very well i sang not very well but under influence of alcohol i didn't give a toss and the girls liked that so there was i was like the moths to a flame uh it was fantastic I had a great time but it was, it was all sort of lubricated my life with alcohol. And initially it was a good friend. And then later on, it turned into that, that monster. It made me 
into a monster, into a, a man that I'm not very proud of. But there were damn good reasons. Initially, it was, it was a lubrication, so to speak, of my life. Also, there had been trauma. And the, I was, I, with hindsight, I know I had PTSD, yet I, I recognized that. For me, it was, I was uh, on the receiving end of gang violence, wrong place, wrong time, but there I was. But in my mind, I had reframed that afterwards towards, hey, I'm a hero. And anyhow, it was the 80s. We had Mel Gibson, Lethal Weapon. We had all the, the kind of anti-heroes of that time. I mean, look at Lethal Weapon 1. Uh, you've got Mel Gibson waking up. Uh, the first thing that he does, goes naked, takes a piss whilst he's having a swig of beer and a cigarette. <laughs> that kind of anti-hero, hey, yeah, that's what we want to be. Well, there you go. So these were my, my heroes. So I... I was doing exactly that. I had a cigarette and a beer. Thank you very much. Nice, prof nice breakfast. Um, so, <laughs> at, at, not all the time. Let's get that clear. <laughs> Let's get that clear because obviously you can't go like that to university, okay? Uh, but it is, yeah, I had this mixture of trauma, inability to deal with my negative emotions, and the free availability of alcohol. And the societal normality of alcohol. Alcohol is, and it certainly was then, ever present. Everyone was drinking. It's just normal. Yeah, and I, uh, you know, like I mentioned when we first chatted, I was born in Holland and we moved to Canada when I was only one, but, you know, we still, in, in Europe, you can drink at a very young age and it's acceptable and it was normal and so that's how i grew up but when like you i felt like you were telling my story and it's something that i noticed with a lot of alcoholics that i talk to it's that overachiever like i will literally work myself until i hit a wall and it's or has to be a really hard brick wall or else <laughs> i'm gonna bust right through that wall like i'm like the wall's coming but i'm coming too right and it has to be a pretty big wall for me to stop but it's that to-do list and today i still find myself having to pull back a little bit like you know i i struggle to find that balance so my balance is well okay going a little too far but i really felt like you were telling my story and it's so common with so many alcoholics right and um and seeing yourself as a failure right the limiting beliefs they've i've i've realized that i have so much potential that i never dreamed was possible and it's what when i was reading your bio i loved what you say your past does not equal your future because for so long i sat there and i'm like well i'm a loser right i mean i've have 20 years of addiction experience you know nobody's going to take me serious and i'm like wait a minute i have i'm a doctor in addiction <laughs> and all sorts of addictions right when was it that you hit your bottom what was that like Um, that was about six, seven years ago. And it, at that time, I had run a very large pain clinic. I was constantly on the go, 16, 18 hour days traveling around the country. But there were 
there were a lot of negative things happening there that I don't want to go into details there. But the, there, I was, I was like Don Quixote trying to fight the windmills, ultimately. I was trying to be the, the hero for each and every one of my patients. And, and I, it was an, it was an impossible task due to the, the problems with funding in the pain medicine world. And I could not accept that. And I ended up really drinking far too much, far too much, far too much. And it, my, my, my life was getting darker and darker. I, there was no more, no more pleasure. It was just drinking to ease the pain. And I was in a dark depression uh, at that time. And it was, it was brutal with hindsight. My wife had stopped drinking. She was quite a heavy drinker before, but my wife had stopped drinking about three years prior to that and had swung in the pendulum the other way. So there was a lot of nagging. You have to stop drinking, you have to stop drinking. And quite rightly so, quite rightly so. She did it because she loved me. So, but there was, again, there was friction within us. So my relationship wasn't great with my wife at that time. Uh, with my children, not so great. It was, it was what it is. As an alcoholic, you, you are so selfish. You're so only you matter. And it is this distorted belief system that you are all so bad to me. And therefore, I buy a bottle of vodka and drink it all. I got to show you. <laughs> and you just think, what the hell? But that was my life. That was my life. So uh, one night, uh, everything came to to climax and my wife got my then boss around to see me crying barely understandable in the garage and and completely drunk and he basically took me off the, the shop floor so to speak and three days later uh, I started my rehab so they had put me into uh, a rehabilitation hospital up in Auckland and it was the best thing that ever, ever in my whole life happened to me. Because first of all, they took me out of my bubble of problems and said, right now, your life, we press the stop button for you. And right now, let's first get you clean. Um, so you have to stop drinking. And there is no way that you continue with anything. And you have to live by our rules. So the first two weeks, you have no contact with anyone. You're just living with us. You sign here, and by you signing, you listen to us. Is that okay with you? And I was, I was glad. I was, I was not happy, definitely not, but I was glad that finally something was happening because deep inside I knew I can't continue like that. It's whilst I was a high-functioning alcoholic, the high functioning, the functioning is probably an oxymoron. Okay. So I was just hanging in there and that only by my fingernails. So now it was just a matter of time until I, uh, something could have happened. So no, I'm, I'm so pleased that that happened. And then the rest is history. Um, I had a, a $27,000 four week holiday, everything included. Um, and that holiday included a lot of sadomasochism. 
not of the good kind, um, but actually a rather a lot of soul seeking and and peeling back the onion layers of trauma of what was ruining me, what was driving me, what at a reptilian brain level was really happening. And I had no idea about that. So that is, it was a 12 step based program and it was beautiful. So it's the one, two, three, that's basically that you accept that you have uh, a trouble and, but that there is maybe some help out there. Step four, that's where the magic happens. And that's basically you take a very sound inventory of your life. And that inventory is painful and in depth. And no, this is as alcoholics, we want to have the curtains drawn and 15 masks in front of us. Then we are happy because then we can drink quietly. Nah. Now imagine a big spotlight, curtains drawn back, spotlight on your face. And <laughs> hello, here is the real Stefan. Tell us a bit about you. And the problem is you have no idea. You have no idea. I had no idea. I was, an, I was emotionally uh, handicapped, literally, because I had all this resentment, anger, frustration. I had this trauma behind me. I had the depression. I had a PTSD that wasn't even recognized anywhere. All that was a, a, like a cauldron of, of poison going, cooking in my body. And that needed to be addressed. And the very first thing they did was address my resentment and my anger, because that was me to, to a nutshell. So my case manager in week two asked me to write a letter to a certain institution that I held responsible for much of what was going on uh, in, in me and in my life. And I did. I wrote until my fingers crammed that night. And then I came to, to next day, I came to her poised like a snake, ready like a cobra. Come on, let's talk. Let's, let's talk about that. Let's, oh yeah, I tell you, I, you will understand why I'm drinking. And she, she took these papers, she looked at them for oh, maybe 10 seconds, five seconds, folded them neatly together, put them aside and said, good. And now let's talk about you. I said, what do you mean? You, it's okay. Let's park that to the side for a moment. Let's talk about you. What? And so it was that kind of approach. They listened to what I was saying, but they listened more to what I was not saying. And then helped me see things in a different light. And that was when the change started to happen. That was when my life turned around because I began to realize that maybe my belief constructs were not necessarily right. Even if they were right, they were probably not suiting me. And so it was time to reinvent myself, to bring closure to certain things, to move on, and to really live the meaning of the serenity prayer. God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, courage to change the things I can, and wisdom to know the difference. When I saw that first, my first day in Ria, I thought, wow, how do they know how I feel? How, 
how can they write that right now? Clearly, they must have written that for me as because I was starting today, and that's my, my hello kind of thing. And it is such a powerful prayer, and it means it meant so much to me, and it means so much to me. I, you know, even today, I, I carry it. That is my serenity prayer on there with the day of sobriety on there, and I don't take that off. Uh, every time it touches my skin, it reminds me where I've come from, and more importantly, how far I have come since then. Because sobriety is not just not drinking. Sobriety is living a life so beautiful, so exhilarating, that yesterday becomes jealous of today. I want to live a life where I say, wow, okay, my goodness, it's already six o'clock. What am I doing in bed? Let's get up. Let's live this life because there is so much to do. And since I have learned the skills to deal with negative emotions, that it is, it has become such a, such a different, different uh, thing. Uh, here's my book, My Steps to Sobriety. And in there, I'm sort of describing the, the, some of the techniques. One of them is, is riding the wave because anxiety will come in waves. Um, your, your desires to drink, your desires to gamble, the, the kind of, ooh, yes, I want that, that will come like a wave. And you might be in the ocean and there is this wave and you, you can get really angry about this wave. You, I don't want you to come. The wave doesn't care. It just comes, rest assured. Um, so you can either be very angry with that wave and drown or you can actually float and say, okay, there's a wave coming. Cool, let's surf it. And that's exactly what I have learned to do. So if suddenly I am incredibly anxious and incredibly <gasps> want to breathe very fast, my heart is racing because I've got an anxiety attack. And I hate that word. It is basically my brain saying, careful, 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 man. There's a, there's a saber-toothed tiger just behind you. He wants to kill you. I'm sure about it. Well, if there's really a saber-toothed tiger behind me, then thank you very much, brain, that you tell me that. Often enough, my brain is, however, wrong. There is no saber-toothed tiger. I've checked a few times. And there, there is nothing there. But it still, it brings me that warning signal, and that's what it is, an anxiety attack. It is your brain going into fight-and-flight mode because something has triggered it. And which is good. So if that happens because there is actually a bus just about to kill you, um, well, that's really quite good to have, isn't it? <laughs> so don't, don't be angry about the adrenaline and the fight and flight. It's there for a reason. That's the reason you survived this long. But unfortunately, our brain gets it wrong. More often than not, actually. And so here you are. You get these waves of, of adrenaline rushing through you. Well, the good news is they last about, what, uh, two, three, five minutes, maybe ten minutes? So if you accept it as a wave and learn how to surf it and say, oh, hello, you, oh, that's adrenaline, I feel it, because your hands go tingling, because you're all, well, your blood vessels go tight and everything in your stomach. Ooh. I always look like someone hit me in the stomach when I get this adrenaline rush. For a long time, I had it at all the wrong times. So my kids, when they were with me in the car, I was like that, and they said, oh, what did you think about? What did you think about? Um, <laughs> And it is, 
um, uh, and that was that was of course uh, uh, flashbacks to trauma. That was that was uh, not nice. Nowadays, I very rarely get that because I've dealt with the PTSD. I dealt with the reasons with that, so it's very rare. Maybe once a week, uh, I get that adrenaline rush, but it comes. There it is, bang. And okay, then I breathe a bit faster. Okay, that's cool. And I say for three seconds, I allow myself to feel the terror. Literally, I I bathe in the terror. I taste it. I smell it. I say, okay, cool. Now, thank you very much, terror. Thank you for showing me your face. You're like a good old acquaintance, and you make sense. But right now, you know, fuck off. I don't need you. And and I just saved uh, uh, surfed that wave. And Nowadays, with some breathing exercises, with that mindfulness, with that realization, 30 seconds, 30 seconds I've dealt with an anxiety attack, uh, with this wave of adrenaline, and then deep breaths, refocus, okay, what do we need to do now? And very quickly, bum, I get on with it, rather than having this pity party, oh my god, why do you think about alcohol? Why do you why do you get this feeling of of adrenaline? Oh, oh my God, you should be better. You should have you you are no longer an alcoholic, aren't you? Well, first of all, yes, I'm an alcoholic, and I will be an alcoholic until I die. Um, and I will have these signals rushing through my body, but nowadays I recognize them for what they are. They're early warning systems, um, and they are there and sometimes they get it wrong and that's okay that's okay yeah so lots of things have have changed in my life and it has changed to to some wonderful people who held the mirror in front of my face and guided me through the jungle through this darkness that was my life and showed me that there is hope and changed me and they started me on a journey. So when I was discharged four weeks after, after admission, I came home and I thought, I've done it. I've done it all, I've worked it all out. Tick, done, I've done my <laughs> rehab now. I'm all good, I'm all clean. And yeah, <laughs> about that. Uh, <laughs> it already started there. And uh, because in, in reality, it is, the recovery uh, is a lifelong process. And there is a good saying, uh, if you don't work on your recovery, you work on your relapse. And that's exactly right. Now, I, I must say that I have changed dramatically and that change attracts other change. So it is all little tiny steps. So for those of you out there listening, and wonder how the hell you know you you see the the kind of before picture when someone is sort of unconscious lying on the ground to this kind of uh smiling bright-eyed bushy-tailed kind of person and you hear oh he went to rehab or you 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 hear he go to 12 steps but what do they actually do but how do you actually go there and I described it in my book basically as a, as a systematic approach, as a, a systematic approach to you looking at your life in a different way. 
that's really what it is. Yes, by the way, you're stopping drinking. Yes, you're stopping using. Uh, and you're aware that there might be other addictions that might lurk around the corner, across addiction. But ultimately, it's, the addiction is only a sign of, of something not being right. Mm-hmm. It's a flow-on effect of the trauma, depression, anxiety, all those things. So therefore, you need to figure out what drives that. And that's, that's, that's what I describe sort of in my, in my book. And, and you, whilst you work on that, that change, on that realization in your head, this will not happen in one session. You will not go to the gym and after one session are fit like Schwarzenegger. Nah. <laughs> it is, you need to keep going and need to keep working. And guess what? You think you have dealt with one topic and then sort of you peel the next onion layer back and, oh, there's another topic. Woohoo! Yay. And there goes another three months. Um, and so on. And that is basically takes time. Mm-hmm. So whilst you're doing that hard work, those hard steps, you need to do the autopilot. And so the Sherlock Holmes is on that side, uh, working with the problems, discovering new ones, dealing with them. But the autopilot is the new habits that you start living by. And that was something new. Because we, we alcoholics, we, we are at a whim, uh, changing our life to suit the alcohol, to suit our using, to suit our addiction. So our habits are shit. Our nutrition is atrocious. Um, all these kind of things. So you need to start with those things that are utterly, utterly life-saving in your life. What are they? Simple. Hydration, nutrition, sleep, to, to say the absolute bare minimum. So you actually want to establish a routine in your day, and that routine is so important. You will get up at 7.30, you will eat something, doesn't matter if you're hungry or not, you will eat something and you will actually uh, get yourself something nice, not, not some bloody uh, whatever sweet... Mm. No, you want to have something that is actually nutrition. Food is actually something that provides you with nutrients and provides you with healthy things. And most of the things, 80% of the, sh- the shit that you buy in a supermarket shouldn't really be called food. So therefore, you need to learn a bit about food and start implementing that. So regular meals mm-hmm. of yummy things and work together with the GP because if you have been drinking like me, you are years behind in certain things that the alcohol simply has washed out of you or has prevented you taking in because the gut is getting a huge hammering by the alcohol. So you get leaky gut syndrome and you're a sick bunny, really, mm-hmm. even if from the outside you look alright. So nutrition is, is the key ingredient to you actually getting better. Regular nutrition, regular hydration. They try like crisps on the best of times. And guess what the alcohol does to you? Dehydrates you. So regular hydration and regular exercise. And that helps you then to get a regular sleep. Once you have these four things nailed, these are the, the, the key micro habits with which you can start. But this, is, this will take you. I mean, for you nutritional status to get back to where it should be, you're talking many months, probably a year or two. Mm-hmm. On that note, that's the same after a pregnancy, by the way, um, because you have just completely 
depleted all your stores because you have grown this magnificent new being there. And many mums have no idea about that. So there you go. That's a, that's a very parallel kind of thing. You're depleted to the nth degree. And that's where not just a little multivitamin, that's not enough. Uh, you need to have actually uh, your GP helping you specifically with those vitamins that have been destroyed by the alcohol. That's the vitamin B complex. Your body uh, is bugger all sink in you. Uh, those kind of things. So there are certain things that you need mega doses to actually just replenish yourself mm -hmm. and get get yourself functioning again. So these are all these are this is an example of the micro habits and um, and actually the better part of my book in the middle is actually all about micro habits and about uh, about what to do. So I put shitloads of action plans in there um, for you to address all of these kind of things so that you can actually work through and and get your head around that. It can be an overwhelming thing because guess what? You're completely restructuring your life because that's what recovery is. Yeah. And it is huge and it will never end. And if you accept that, that it is a roller coaster where there is so much beautiful fun, also a bit of terror because the roller coaster has to go down at times. Um, and when you accept that, that your life will not all be roses and that you accept that there will be dark times ahead because there are dark times ahead and that you now will learn different techniques to deal with them, that you learn how to sharpen your saw, how to actually look after yourself and therefore are now in a much more, in a much different state of mind, state and the body you can now deal with the problems in such a different way that it is quite amazing. You're no longer the victim. You're no longer the, the, on the back foot because you're hungover and, and malnourished and, and everything there. No, you actually get the shit together. You're centered. You're, okay, good. And now something negative will happen. And you now have learned how to make choices, how to... You have learned that you have got a choice how to respond to that. That idiot has just cut you off and nearly caused an accident. Well, when I was drinking, I would have basically been not a very nice man to that to that idiot. Now he is clearly an idiot. He is a numbnut, um, and he nearly killed me. That's so. These are the facts. Yeah. But the way how I would have responded to it then. Would have been probably rather traumatic and and hurting myself whilst the way i respond to it nowadays would be oh still with anger thank you but uh in a, in a very different way in a, in a far more i guess helpful way to me in a in a far more um hmm, you know better way mm -hmm. so and that's that's the choice that you have for each and every day every day is an accumulation of choices. Most of the time nowadays I get it right. Yeah, some of them I don't get right. That's cool. Um, I'm not. I'm not perfect. That's what I've learned, and I'm. <laughs> I'm, I'm. I'm okay with that. Uh, I will make mistakes, and and but I, I. The saying sometimes you win, sometimes you learn, means so much, truly for me. So I'm actually embracing mistakes I made, because. I, 
I can learn from that. If everything goes smooth, well, it's actually quite boring. So yeah, it's a very different mindset once you're some time down into recovery, because you're you're just you're just that new being, and I love that new being. I love that. I love the new me. Honestly, it is. It's a beautiful, beautiful feeling. Well, and you can just tell by the way you talk. I love you said so many good things. I took some notes down. Um, and, you know, one of them, when I got sober, I noticed too, like, you know, I had to start owning my life. Like I had created this life for myself and really taking a good inventory. Because I just remember when I was working on my resentments, I'm like, you know, I got asked, okay, tomorrow write down every you know people place thing everything you're resentful for i'm like well this is easy like challenge me here and i just like came prepared with that piece of paper and it's like what's your part i'm like what what do you mean what's my part like they're they're the ones in the wrong clearly right <laughs> and it was such an emotional roller coaster that for like when i was i cried probably for two years straight in my first year it was the best year of my life but it was also the hardest because i'm like what is this like what is this falling from my face right now because i'm sobbing i have no idea why i'm happy like i've lost everything i've gone bankrupt my life just fell apart but for the first time i actually feel like i have a chance to do something with my life and one of my friends said tamar you have been drinking since you're 14 years old you have covered up every emotion and never learned how to deal with anything. So think of yourself now as you're a 14 year old. You have to learn how to deal. And I was like, oh shit, this is gonna be tough, right? But you know, like you talked about how this is, it's so amazing. I tell people today, cause I love helping people. It's my passion, I have my purpose and I can thank my time in addiction and what I went through to recover for that. But I love going to bed early every night because I can't wait to wake up at 4 a.m. and start my day. And people think I'm insane. And I'm like, it took me a little while to build up to the 4 a.m., mind you. But I serious, I can't wait to go to bed at night because I'm so excited to start fresh the next day. And because I always start my day with what I love, right? I, I say the serenity prayer. I do my meditation. I help people, I, I have client appointments in the morning, right? And I just, you know, and one of the things I, you know, that really struck me when you were talking about, you know, we have to own our life and we can, we have the choice. I always tell them, we are what we think, right? And I have learned because I still deal with those insecurities, I still deal with that fear, right? But it's because I want it so bad, right? And I'm going full speed ahead on that wave and I feel that right now. Um, but I'm standing in that fear today and going, you know what, screw this. I'm scared shitless about what I'm doing because this is a whole new adventure for me and it's super exciting and it's happening super fast. But I own that today and I'm like, this is good because if I didn't have any fear or I wasn't uncomfortable, like you said, it would be boring. And there's something absolutely incredible about being able to turn around and look back and go, holy crap, like I can't believe this is me today, right? And I can hear that when you speak and when you share, and I love that. So with your book, you talked a little bit about it. Um, the 12 steps are in your book. 
But do you have kind of a separate program above and beyond that, or you just kind of, you know, blend things in and make it even better? The 12 steps are really, really good to deal with your life, with a failing life. So, and once you actually accept that, that it is not just something for drinking or for gambling or for drugs, but actually a, a blueprint how to address a failing business, then it becomes completely applicable to every single part of your life. So I certainly, and that's that's where I sort of describe it as uh, in my book as, as, oh yeah, a failing business that yeah, a mate of you has got a restaurant and in, in his restaurant, there are tumbleweeds, but no guests. And you have got a restaurant and you're running full every night. And one day he comes to you and says, look, man, can we sit down? I have no idea how you do what you do because you're successful. I try to do the same thing. I'm not successful. What the hell? And I said, look, okay, fine. I come across. Come on, let's have a coffee. So I come across, sit down in his restaurant, um, see how it looks like, what's the flair, what's the front of house behaving. Um, I will order some food. Um, I will see what the taste is, see what's on the menu, etc., etc. And then afterwards, I will go behind the scenes, have a look to see you know, what's working in the kitchen, etc. And then that gives me a really good insight where we are at. So we're doing this inventory and we're, we're looking at what works, what doesn't, and then, then take it from there. If you have got 100 different dishes on your menu, of which 70 no one ever has, well, that's probably not very clever. Um, so there are certain things you need to get rid of because they don't suit you anymore. And then there are certain things that you may be lacking, which might be really the, the cool thing to have uh, in your restaurant for people to come. And then once you have got your shit sorted in the restaurant, the next step is that you actually have to announce that to the world because they still think you're, you're the last place they want to eat. So therefore, you, you're actually planning to make amends and you're making amends in, in the sense that you send flyers out and said, look, guys, we have redone our menu. This is now the autumn menu. We know that in the summer we were not so successful, but we are grateful for your consideration. And as a thank you to you being being our, our customers, we give you two drinks on the house or 50% off on your first return. So you're making amends. And then down the line, you're doing quality assurance. You're looking again over what is happening in your restaurant, making sure that you don't slide back into, into maybe the wrong, wrong ways. And down the line, finally, you end up in a scenario where my restaurant is good, his restaurant is good, and he is now so infused about it that he says, wow, what a journey. I actually want to teach others how to have a successful uh, restaurant. So now he might do a Facebook group for, for restaurateurs or might have a business meeting once a month where he brings successful people in. And if you're struggling, well, you come along and, and you, you get access to all these people. So what I've described to you is how I would approach a failing business. That's exactly the 12 steps. What I've done is the 12-step program. Now, you, you, there was not a single word of God in there. Um, because I'm not religious. so And you don't have to be religious to do a 12-step program. Uh, the God, if you don't believe in this religious deity, then you simply 
considered a group of orderly drones or a group of druggies or whatever whatever you acronym you can put onto that it basically just means that there is a higher power out there and the higher power means some people who have gone through the shit have figured out what does not work and are now ahead of you on the path that's the higher power that's what it is people who have been there done that and got themselves better with their own helpers and so if you accept that there are people out there that are ahead of you then well that's it that's it god tick so higher power tick remember this all the the, the blue book uh, the, the big book uh, of the the aa all that was written in the 1930s and it was written by people who at that time were very good salesmen and they thought well damn how can we how can we sell that system to people and guess what in the 1930s it was all about god and all about religion so there you go put some god in there there we go Bob's your uncle um and that's pretty much what it was bill wilson uh, he wasn't he wasn't religious at all um that is uh, but he was a good salesman and so that's where that all came in now if you are religious cool brilliant it works for you if you're not religious then don't get hung up on that look at it like a failing business if that's what you are you're not a failure but what is working right now is well there's more that is not working than that is working <laughs> so therefore look at it from that angle okay so time for you time for a spring clean in your business which happens to be your life so and and that's really that's what it is it's it's no magic it is common sense but you need to find the people that can guide you you need to find the people your power team that supports you because i certainly i whilst i know what needs to be done even now i need someone else to hold a mirror in front of my face i even now have that life coaches that bring out the better in me that look at what i'm doing and say Trevor, we need to talk and and that is me now being successful and and creative and beautiful down the line but i i realized that i want to be the dumbest idiot in my team i want to be the lowest ranking member i want my team to be really good guys because they teach me or they drag me forward etc i don't want to be the, the head honcho because yeah then i don't learn no yeah. i surround myself with people who know more about something than i do and therefore i learn from them and therefore never is there a boring day for me because there's always new stuff coming through i love that you say that because i i i know people who have 25 30 40 years sober that are miserable and you know then on the flip side i know people who have this amazing life but those people just like we got desperate enough to you know give recovery a try and decide to turn our lives and really own our lives right and turn them around i think there comes a time that you need to continue to do that above and beyond like you said like i have coaches i have multiple coaches that i work with right so for me, it's not if I stayed stuck in that bubble, 
of rehashing my past like all the time and I do a yearly inventory on myself right I'm like okay what do I got to clean up now and it's amazing how much more stuff piles up every year right and isn't it <laughs> it is you gotta keep doing the work but I think that a lot of people get stuck in that and they don't ever go okay because we are overachievers you hear it all the time and I know alcoholics that today are millionaires and they were out on the street you know it's incredible we really are overachievers some of us but I do think it's important to make sure that you continue to want to grow and it's like okay now what's outside of this because I've created my solid foundation and I'm going to keep watering my lawn so to speak but you know maybe I'm going to grow some more plants over here and maybe I'm going to have a really nice backyard because we are truly capable of so much more than we think so true you know um so i i often get asked this question but i want to hear it from you when somebody goes you know because i know there's a lot of people that are struggling with addiction that have come from all all walks of life and especially people who aren't quite sure if they're an alcoholic if somebody said to you you know how do i know i have a problem you know, how do you how do you know that you're an alcoholic? What would you say to them? <laughs> the, sheer, the sheer fact that you're asking yourself the question is probably the, the biggest sign and the biggest the biggest uh, thing to to the biggest. Yeah, like red that flag. sign. Hello, red flag. <laughs> that's, that's the word I was looking for, um, because deep inside, you know, uh, what you have done is probably you have surrounded yourself for a long time with people who drink more than you or at least as much as you. So therefore, it doesn't look as bad. But if you ever have sort of felt, well, I probably should, should I cut down on the amount of drinking? Um, if you felt guilty about the amount of drinking, um, if, you, uh, if other people were annoyed about your drinking, and if you, for example, uh, there were times that in the morning you had a glass of alcohol to sort of as an eye opener to to make you feel human again uh, because your hangover is so bad. These are sort of four things that are maybe interesting. What I've just given you are the cage questions, C-A-G-E. So uh, cut back or cut down, annoyed, guilty and eye opener. So if you tick three or four of them, well, welcome to the club. Okay. If you tick two of them, only two, then you wait a bit, but then you're part of the club. Okay. So these are the cage questions. Very simple, very straightforward. I will, uh, within the next two weeks, I will actually release a workbook that goes along with the, my steps to sobriety with my book in which I have got these questionnaires in there. And that's, that's one of the first the first things that we do, that we actually have a, have a really good look at you to actually say, yeah, come on. And there are a number of other tools that we can use to give you an idea. And please, let's anyone who is who took pride in his alcohol consumption, um, I was taking four and then some. Come on, let's, <laughs> let's not be silly here, okay? So the, there are validated tests out there. You will find them in my workbook. And, uh, but simply talking to your GP, he will run through that with you. 
Mm-hmm. There are there are sort of guidelines out there that uh, the uh, various institutions around the world are implementing, and it's sort of more than twenty uh, more than twenty one drinks of alcohol, standardized drinks in men and fourteen drinks in women per week, which makes you an alcoholic. But these are sort of arbitrary figures, and ultimately you need to know that there is no safe consumption limit for alcohol. Each and every glass of alcohol that you drink, regardless when, how, what, will probably shorten your life by a few minutes. And I think that's really, really important. Mm -hmm. So alcohol is a poison. It causes cancer. It causes all kind of degenerative diseases. It affects every single organ in your body. And again, if you want to know more, you, you check out my book. It's all in there. And you need to realize that. So bottom line is that the, the, if, you, if you have the slightest doubt, am I an alcoholic? Chances are you are. Okay. Um, now, you might take offense with regards to the label of alcoholic. And there's nowadays, there are two schools of thought as far as that is concerned this labeling, uh, some people try to go away from that because they want you to seek the help and by just calling yourself an alcoholic, you shy away from that. You don't seek the help because you don't want to be tainted with that label. And that's essentially why the medical profession has changed terminology. So nowadays it is called alcohol use disorder and it goes from mild to severe. And there is no more uh, dependence. There is no more uh, addiction. These kind of things are no longer defined. This it's a different label that maybe is not as offensive, and therefore maybe more people seek help. The problem is with that. Whilst I'll accept it, and whilst I want people to seek help, I think you need to accept the facts. You cannot just say, "Oh no, there's nothing wrong with me." There's nothing wrong with me. Let's let's create this new life, this beautiful life, but there's absolutely nothing wrong with me. Yeah, no, 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 no. It doesn't <laughs> work like that. Now, you're a bloody alcoholic, okay? Like it or love it, you are. You are. You are like every third person around you because that's the incidence of chemical addiction, one in three. It's huge out there. So if you go to church, in your church, look around, there are alcoholics standing next to you praying to God. There are wife eaters in there. There are all kinds of people in there that you would never think about because everyone has this bloody mask on. So no, this is one in three is the chemical addiction. Okay? It is what it is. And only by accepting that can you actually move forward. Because if you keep pretending that nothing is wrong, well, why the hell would you change anything? No, exactly. And I've seen so many people try to recover and they just, you know, I know what will happen to me if I have a drink. Like there's going to be table dancing. I will get kicked out of somewhere. I don't know where. I'm not going to remember how I got home. And it's funny if somebody goes, oh, do you want the drink special? I'm like, no, thanks. I said, I don't think you want me dancing on this table. Is that acceptable? And they're like, no, we won't give you a drink. Right. I've I've turned it into something that's fun and because I just I know that you know I know it's going to happen and there's too many people though I think that they don't they don't 
really get that they're they have to be done right i mean you can't you can't try and change someone if they don't want to be changed and people in my life used to say why do you keep doing this to yourself like we don't understand it's like you're this freight train and you crash and then you get right back up and you go again and you crash and I'm just like because that's that's what it's about unfortunately until I hit my bottom and I was functioning as well I didn't know that I needed to stop so um, and when you mentioned the 14 beers a week, I'm like, I had like 18 beers in one night. And then usually exactly. I went to a bottle of vodka. So Exactly. You know, exactly right. That's it, a binge drinking, isn't it? Oh, <laughs> it's crazy. So um, what inspired you to start the podcast? Because I want to talk a little bit about that, of course, too. What inspired me? Oh, goodness. It actually <laughs> started with my wife end of last year saying, why don't you write a book about your experiences? And I looked at her and thought, hmm, me, what you mean? Go out there into the world and tell everyone I'm an alcoholic. And I sort of thought about it for a night and started writing. And suddenly I couldn't stop writing. And I kept writing and writing and writing until this book was done. And I thought, wow, okay, what a journey. Because during the writing, I took inventory. I went back to the heart lessons learned. I, I put it all into a structured kind of thing. So I actually went through rehab again, and that was powerful, painful, powerful, gratifying. I, uh, but yeah, it is, mm, mm, it was a journey. And then I knew I had this book, and I wanted to get it out there. But somehow I knew this is, nowadays there's so many books out there, crying out loud. You need to actually do a bit of marketing. And I didn't just want to have one sale a year. So I thought, hmm, okay, how do I do that? And then one day, just in your Facebook, somewhere this this kind of Steve Olger, uh, a, a challenge of uh, become uh, a guest on five podcasts in five days. I thought, yeah, what's that all about? And so that was the first time that I took part in such a challenge. And uh, suddenly I realized so much more and I realized that this world of podcasting out there and I thought that's actually quite cool. And I had already started a bit with a, with a YouTube channel and had put some, some little bits here, bits there, sort of bit of infusing kind of material out there. But I was, I was oblivious really to, to the whole social media side of things. And then I started to embrace that. And I thought, man, actually, let's become an influencer. And uh, and again, the moment that came into my mind, I thought, you bloody imposter. Who do you think you are? What do you think? Who, who, you, you want to do a YouTube channel? You want to be a show host? You little, and so on. All this negative. And... Uh, cut along this short. Um, I, I changed my YouTube channel. I actually asked uh, an old friend who was in the UK, who was dabbling a bit in life coaching. So she became my first guinea pig. And then I found uh, websites, uh, Facebook groups, where people are coming together who want to change the world. And these are sort of uh, well saying, hey, I'm available as a guest to speak about X, or I'm running a show and I'm looking for Y. And I thought, wow, there are all these people out there who are such, who have such potential and who have such lovely messages. So 
why not get in touch with them? And I started. Um, it became a movement in its own right. So I've done yesterday my 103rd interview um, for my show. And I, oh goodness, there are probably another 20, 30 that I've scheduled for this month. Uh, because what happens is when you start living a life which matters, you attract other people that matter. And suddenly new collaborations start to, to appear. So I had, I don't know, around about uh, interview 80, I bumped into a fellow author who had this idea about a multi-author book. And she said, would, would, you want to be, would you want to be part of that? We're just starting that out. I said, like, tell me more. Oh, yeah. We want 5,000 words from you. And it needs to be a uh, uh, breakup to, to develop yourself, something along these lines. I thought, okay, I can do that. Fast forward, we're launching our book now in November. And there it came. Out of the blue came this unique opportunity to share my story in a, in a shortened version uh, together with other 16 other stories. And it is beautiful, beautiful, beautiful. So now I, I get to interview all these 16 other co-authors there. And then from there, there will be a new collaboration uh, coming out. And there will be a new, hey, I've got an idea. Oh, yeah, cool. Let's do that. And because we want to plant these seeds, we are all there. We are all these these idealists in a really good way, uh, not in a negative way, this kind of dreamer. No, we are actually the kind of doers, the go-getters who have got an idea, then ta don't take no for an answer, create, turn that idea into a mission, into a vision, and then actually three months later, done. Okay, next idea. And that's so cool. <laughs> That's so cool. There is, ah, oh, love it, love it, love it, love it. So therefore, yeah, it's this month will be exciting. So we've got this multi-author book coming out. Um, we, I've just finished uh, my first children's book with a co-author and we've done a calendar that goes along with Esme, the mindful mouse, um, which is the title of this children's book. We are creating other children's books. It is just, it's a never ending story in the nicest, way so i love this creativity and the, the joy that full that is deep inside of me the that ball of energy that that keeps expanding and and from now and then leaps out and and something new arises out of out of nowhere and it's beautiful absolutely beautiful so this is recovery guys this is this is living a life to the fullest that is what that means it has bugger all to do with drinking or not drinking um it has to do with living a life that you are proud of and in order to do so you have to address the, the dark side in you and have to live with that dark side come to terms with it and but then focus on the good side and every day make some choices that allow you to move forward so that you're no longer stagnant, that you're no longer just dreading water until you die. That's, yeah, that's not the way I want to live. Yeah, I, uh, I love your enthusiasm because when I came into the podcasting world too, I just, I met these people that I had heard on podcast, you know, when I went to Los Angeles for the first time to 
you know, when I, I in early 2019 is when I actually heard my first podcast, like what a podcast was, because I was feeling demotivated, right? I had been kind of complacent for about six years and I was, you know, uh, looking up, you know, health and wellness and stuff. And so I found this podcaster, Adam Shibley from the Million Pound Mission, and now he has the podcast business school. So he's actually become one of my coaches, but I joined one of his groups, right? Because I thought, oh, I want in on this program. Like, this sounds really cool. And then I came to one of his events and I met a whole bunch of podcasters and I'm sitting at the table listening to them share and listening to them talk about their ideas and what they want to create together. Exactly like you said, it's like getting all these, you know, these people with super like passionate creativity, like just their minds are like, they need to explode with this information, right? And it was the same thing. And I'm like, wow, like I want what these guys have. And so I just held on tight. I'm like, okay, let's do this. And, you know, within a year, everything in my life has changed. And I'm experiencing the same thing where I talk to a podcaster and we get talking, you know, the before and after interviews. And it's like, hey, let's do this together. And I have this great idea. And it's so much fun. So much fun. (laughs) So I wouldn't have it any other way. Honestly, I wouldn't have it any other way. (laughs) I know it is a gift. And that's what I try to tell people that it's not just about quitting drinking, right? It's about who can you, who were you meant to become? You know, what gets you excited? What gets you out of bed every day? Because it is an absolutely remarkable life. And I'm so grateful and super grateful that you were able to come on the show today. So tell us, um, we're going to put a link for the book, of course, in the show notes, but how can people get a hold of you if they want to learn more? Uh, I'm quite active nowadays on, on social media. So I've got Instagram, Facebook, um, all under the title, My Steps to Sobriety. The best way where you can start is my website uh, that we're just redoing, mystepstosobriety.com. And on there, I will uh, you will be able to find my books, uh, new ventures that I'm doing, new, new things that we are doing. Uh, soon we, you, there will be the links to the podcasts there. But um, my podcast is uh, on every platform, on every uh, podcast directory that you can think about is there. Most people use iTunes, so look me up on iTunes, but Spotify, wherever you want to look, you probably will find me, My Steps to Sobriety is the name of my podcast. Equally, my YouTube channel is My Steps to Sobriety. And uh, there are all these beautiful, beautiful interviews. And honestly, whilst it is My Steps to Sobriety, that that was the the hook, that's where I started. Really, my show is about people who have gone through tough times and came out the new and improved version at the other end and are now sharing that with you. So I had felons in high security prisons on my my show. I had uh, divorce coaches. I had people who are just doing fantastic things, who are religious, uh, people who can't stand for religion. I have got gay, straight, it doesn't matter. There are, you will find whatever, whatever trauma there is, whatever things moved you, you will probably find a sub channel on my, on my video tube, uh, on my YouTube channel. And so, yes, and, and we are looking, we are asking 
the tough questions. We're talking honestly about the the different different points of views that are often there. What I'm really doing is I'm demystifying mental health. I'm demystifying uh, addiction and talk honestly about these kind of things. Mm-hmm. So come across, have a look, and see if any of these things uh, trigger your your interest. Uh, chances are, yes, there will be some. And there are some, some beautiful, beautiful people there. As I said, we are published. We are now in the early 90s. Um, the post-production today, I will finish 103. And as I said, this will keep going because it is maybe I'm addicted to getting my shit together. I think that's probably the best way how I can describe that. And this addiction nowadays takes the form of talking to beautiful people like you and and sharing my side of the story. But also in turn, I know you are coming soon onto my show. Um, so I'm looking forward to that, to hearing your side of the story a bit more. And with every story I listen to, with every person I get, I have the privilege to to interview, I learn. And hopefully together we can plant the seeds into those people out there who are still in the darkness. I want to be the, the, the torchlight for them, the candle for them, the lighthouse and the storm for them. I want them to see that there is a way out. Because I've been in times when I didn't know, I didn't believe that there was a way out. And these were very, very, very dark times. And now I know how wrong I was. And I want you guys to understand that out there. There is help there. It doesn't matter what has occurred to you, what things you have done. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. That was the past. What matters is that you start believing that there is hope out there and make that little first step that is the biggest step you will ever make in your life. First step that you open up to maybe go to your GP, to your family physician and say, look, I think we need to talk. And that will send you on a, on a journey that will be so wonderful. Is I have no words for it. I agree. That's uh, amazing. I feel the same way. It's like, if you need help, ask for it. You know, there's so many people who can relate. I know that when I first told people my deepest, darkest secrets, I was so scared. And they're like, oh, me too. You want to hear something else? And, (laughs) you know, and it is a good feeling because, you know, both you and I can relate with people who are struggling and we know what it's like to come through that and not only come through that but to do some pretty unbelievable things that when you really stand there and you turn around you're like holy shit i can't believe this is my life today and you can have that too so thank you so much stefan for being on my show i really appreciate you being here today it was an absolute honor anytime and i'm looking forward to seeing you on my show soon Well, I hope you enjoyed that episode of The Road Beyond Recovery. I want to keep bringing you inspiring stories of people who are having success in sobriety, right? Because that's the goal here, to inspire you to really discover your purpose and live the life that you were meant to live. So 
if you're thinking about becoming an entrepreneur or maybe you're an early entrepreneur, I want to make sure I give you as much value as possible. And of course, if you are an entrepreneur and you want to share your success story, make sure you reach out. You can email me at tamar at theroadforward.ca and let me know if you'd like to be a guest on the show. I would love to speak to anyone who has overcome addiction or adversity and has an inspiring story to share and has used that experience to do what they do today. And don't forget to check out my Beyond Recovery workshop. Phase one is absolutely free. You can head on over to my website, www.theroadforward.ca forward slash Beyond Recovery workshop. And until next week, stay safe. Thanks for listening to another episode of The Road Beyond Recovery. Did you know that our dreams can become a reality? When you determine your purpose in life and you allow that purpose to guide you, anything is possible. It just takes action. Don't wait until you're ready. Start to create the life you were truly meant to live right now. I am super passionate about my mission to help people live up to their true potential. So if you want to learn more, check out my website at www.theroadforward.ca. And until next week, keep exploring what lies beyond recovery for you.